As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. And today's topic is one that um, seems to come around often in the, in the media. It's kind of a cyclical argument, right? Yeah, it comes up every, I don't know, like gas prices rise, you'll hear this story, or um, auto sales are down, you'll hear this story, mm-hmm. uh, but it has never turned out to be correct. Yeah, it seems like this as, as a reoccurring theme over the last, uh, oh man, over since uh, the beginning of time, Ben. <laughs> Maybe that's a little dramatic. I should say the beginning of time. How about... Uh, decades, at least. Yeah, decades and decades, maybe. Decades. Um, the idea is that um, car culture is dying. And uh, we're going to question that because I'll just get this out right up front. I don't think that it is. And I don't think you do either, right? No, I don't. And there are some interesting reasons behind that. The One of the big things that came up a few years ago was that... The New York Times, which is not the be-all, end-all authority on cars to begin with. Hardly. Yeah. Uh, had an article come out in, let's see, June 29th, 2013, right? Yeah. Uh, and it said, it, it touted the end of car culture and the question that they said based on, um, based on a couple of statistics, like the number of teenagers getting licenses or holding them, the number of miles driven, stuff like that. They said that America was beginning to end its relationship with the car. Uh, there have been a lot of responses to this because what's different about this time around with this kind of story and idea is that the access to information is different because of the Internet. So a lot of people are able to respond immediately. Yeah, I can tell you that this this same idea has been posed Time after time after time between generations, uh, you know, ever since the automobile has been around, they say they said that, um, you know, the uh, the younger generation just doesn't seem to care about the car anymore the way that we do um, or the type of cars that we do. And that's the, the main thrust of this whole thing is that uh, people are just becoming uninterested in, auto, in the automobile. And they cite statistics like um, 
This one comes from The Guardian, um, a writer named Dominic Rush. And Dominic found out that, uh, or he, through his research, uh, found out that new car purchases by those age 18 to 34 dropped by 30% in the U.S. between 2007 and 2012. Um, that's according to Edmunds.com, right? Right. So the, uh, the shopping website. And many Americans under 35 are not even getting their license. That's uh, that's another thing they point to. They say that the so-called millennials, those people that were born between, and this is a crazy range, 1983 to the year 2000, are now the largest generation in the U.S., and the trend is starting to worry people that are building cars. You know, the automakers are starting to say, oh, my gosh, there's this whole group of people out there that aren't going to buy our product. Why is that? They're trying to figure out why and what they can do to turn that around. Right. Um, so, you know, stats like that are thrown out there, and there's even more, I mean, um, the number of miles driven by Americans each year has sort of, uh, sort of declined or it has dropped off. Um, they, they now tend to drive fewer miles per capita than they did at the end. This is at the end of Bill Clinton's first term. That's how they put it. Uh, so <laughs> right. what are you saying? Like 2004? Was that around when that was? Uh, 2000? Well, so, yeah. 2000, 2006. 2004. Um, and the, uh, let's see. It says also the age. Group showing the biggest decline is those between ages of 16 to 34 who drive 23% fewer miles on average in 2009 than they did in 2001. Now, this article is from 2014, so the 2009 data, I don't know where he's getting that, but, um, right. So be, again, you know, 23% fewer miles driven on average, um, in those eight years in between 2009 and 2001. So there's stats like that that, uh, that seem to come out there. There's, there's a couple of reasons that they point to, um, you know, why this is happening. And one is just a, uh, and a lot of people love to talk about this, Ben. There's just a general lack of interest. Right. The idea that this group known as millennials, uh, only sees a car as a way to get from point A to point B mm-hmm. and doesn't really have an interest in learning how to fix it, how to own one, maintain it. But I, I take issue with some of these statistics because Scott, while they, may paint an interesting picture or serve an agenda when they're all um, sort of curated this way. There are numerous other reasons that those statistics could come about. Mm -hmm. Buying a new car is difficult, especially for a lot of people in that age range. Super expensive. It's super expensive. It's going to be, you know, if you are under 30, it's going to be the biggest expense that you pay for other than college. Yeah, it's a huge, huge purchase. And, you know, we talked about the price of the average new sedan is something like $32,000 at this point or 32000 plus at this point. Yeah. That's a lot of money now. It's a lot of scratch. I mean, talking about used cars, I mean, you know, that that can, you know, the entire range. It doesn't matter what that sure. is. But, but you want to get something decent, so it is still expensive. I mean, I can think back to when I bought my first used car. And it was $1,100. And I mean, I thought that was a big, big purchase at the time, but that doesn't even get you in the door right now for anything that's reliable, that's in half decent condition with, you know, less than 300,000 miles on it. Yeah. Um, it's very, very difficult to find a, uh, a quality used car for a low cost at this point. Let me amend my statement here because I, I realize, of course, that a house is a large expense, but due to a lot of rising costs uh, of just living, at least here in the United States, people are less likely to buy a car. People are less likely to buy a house. Yeah, there's a lot more renters right now. A lot yeah. more people that are, uh, you know, deciding to go that route. It's just more affordable for them in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as, you know, as you mentioned with the the car, um, some people are just opting to not do it. And part of that is because 
you know, the, this is kind of strange to say it this way. I hate talking in these big broad terms because right. I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but there is a, uh, a move to, uh, to get people back into the cities now. And, you know, that wasn't always the case. It was like before that everybody wanted to move out to the suburbs. Right. And have some space. Mm-hmm. Now it seems like, uh, you know, the, the, the younger generations, I guess, and man, I sound old when I say all this stuff. I understand. Get off my lawn. <laughs> That's what I feel. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to, again, I don't mean to point, paint with this broad brush. And sure, I don't mean sure. to, to say, you know, that's the way the kids are doing it now or anything like that. But there is a, a trend to move back into cities among the youth. And, and that plays into this too, because they rely on public transportation, friends to get them around, you know, that do drive, you know, friends that yeah. maybe have, have a car that w- they were willing to share, um, car sharing programs that they can access. Even bike sharing programs, you know, just to get around the area or walking. Yeah, well, let me let me point this out. This is another thing that reminds me about several Mark Twain quotes regarding statistics. Uh, one of which I can't say because we're a family show. <laughs> but uh, here's here's a tricky thing buried in these statistics, Scott. Remember a few years back when the news hit that the majority of the human population lives in cities or urban areas? Yes. Okay, so that applies to the entire world, not just the United States. And let's consider that all of the large, dense population centers where most of the data about people will come from, those data points, those aggregations are also in cities where it is not only more expensive, but uh, much more difficult in general to have a car. Uh, the, the most expensive parking spot in the world was a podcast we did earlier where uh, we, and I won't spoil it for you guys, um, but where we found that even in the places that didn't have the most expensive parking spot in the United States or in the world, uh, they were all in places where, um, to be candid, man, uh, you and I could not afford to, to own a car. Oh, no, or a condo. Or, right. or even an apartment. I, I mean, can maybe buy a pistachio, <laughs> a sandwich on your way through to your uh, to your your job. Right. Yeah. 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 I understand. <laughs> so, um, okay. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like it, it's uh, it's a densely populated city. Uh, it's difficult to even own a car. I, I, my uh, my brother-in-law lived in Chicago for a while. Uh, it doesn't anymore. Yeah. He towards the end of his time in Chicago finally decided that yeah I need a car to get back and forth uh you know to the my parents house in Michigan. Uh-huh. Uh but up until that point, you know, they would they would rent a car to get back home. Uh they would take public transportation everywhere, you know, buses, trains, subway, whatever they had to be able to get to and from places in the city. And I think there was just a point where he realized like, you know, I just can't do this anymore for these long distances. It uh-huh. makes sense for me to get this. And then eventually moved out of the city and, uh, you know, obviously happy that he had something that was, uh, you know, capable of getting him around town, getting him longer distances back and forth from, you know, town, town, which is now, you know, several miles away because he lives out in a suburb. And, uh, you absolutely can't really rely on public transportation here in the United States if you live in the suburbs. It's just, and, and I know it's kind of, uh, hit or miss, but, for the most part, it's really, really poor out in the suburb areas. Right, yeah. There are some bus systems. There are – maybe there are some light rail, depending on where you live. Yeah, but, you know, you have, to take the bus, you have to take the bus or cab to that light rail right, system. Right, exactly. You and, can't walk to it as you could in the city. And this country is so large, the distances are so great that eventually when uh, flying becomes – 
prohibitive for people, which is in the cards. Uh, driving will be one of the only realistic options. So Jalopnik had a great response to this uh, report by uh, Rosenthal, by Elizabeth Rosenthal. And uh, their title is a little bit snarky. Right. You saw this one. The New York Times doesn't know what car culture is. Yeah, I did. It was written, what, two days later or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it was yeah. A, it was a very quick response. Yeah. Um, but they start exploring the idea in both of these articles. Uh, they start exploring the idea of what is known as peak car. Now, everybody listening, you're probably familiar um, with peak oil, which was uh, something that popped up on the news often. But the thing about peak car is there's this idea that. At some point in the United States, right, uh, specifically in the U.S., the uh, amount of people willing to buy a car will have been met. And all of the cars that could be sold are going to be sold. And the way we count this is by registered vehicles on the road. Right. And if you go back to 2008, that actually was our peak year. We've already, we're on the decline at this point, and that's why all these articles are being written, right? So, uh-huh. so 2008 was the peak for the United States. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to reach another peak, I guess. You know, we can always climb out of this. Yeah, that peak was, uh, just for perspective, was 236.4 million light-duty vehicles. Yeah, registered vehicles on the road. So that means that, you know, the, the uh, they decided that, you know, car ownership and usage was, was worth it to them. They, they registered the vehicle in order to be able to drive it on the road. So that's... That's usable vehicles, I guess, right? Yeah. So um, that peak you uh, that peak car happened in 2008, and after that there was a there was a kind of a, a pretty rapid decline. But that kind of go, coincides with the recession that's been going on here. Absolutely, the housing bubble, all that stuff, right? So um, it, it it follows along with the economy very closely. And I want to say that since uh, right around what is it 2011. That number has been climbing back up again. So, you know, right. the, the people that said, Oh, we've reached the, the peak number and it's, it's on its way down. It's never yeah. going to come back. It's already bounced back. And in 2011, mm-hmm. the number was all the way up to 233.8 million again. Mm-hmm. Um, so the number of car registered, number of cars registered went back up. Um, but it's also important to point out that that number is just about as low as it was in 2004. So there was a, uh, an increase between 2004 and 2008 that kind of makes up that difference of about, what, 3 million vehicles, something like uh-huh. that. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... 
We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and uh, another statistic that people will throw around a lot is the idea that uh, the the idea that the demographic of a average driver's license holder is changing. It's aging up. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that younger drivers are less likely to instantly go out on their 16th birthday and pick up a license the way that it was back when I was a kid. Right. And uh, they're more likely to wait until they're uh, they're much older, you know, maybe even in the 35 and up group. Um, and they're finding that the older drivers are holding on to their licenses longer. So, mm-hmm. you know, this all plays, you know, that that somebody who's 80 years old is still registering, registering their vehicle. They're still licensed to drive. They're hanging on to it. Where in the past, they might have been done driving at that point, but mm-hmm. they're hanging on to it. The younger drivers are just simply not even going to get a license. They just don't care about it, as as a lot of people say. But is that true? Is it really true that they don't care? I don't think it is. I, I, I think what's happening here is that a number of different factors are being conflated to try to paint an incomplete picture of something that, you know, a boogeyman. Well, cost has to be huge, right? And right. Cost is huge. We're talking about cost, and, and think about this. I mean, it's a lot easier. It was a lot easier, you know, 20 years ago for a parent to kind of help finance a car for for a kid. Are you kidding? It was easier in uh, uh, an average family uh, in the United States in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody helped me. Check me on the statistics. I think this is correct that the average, you know, nuclear family with a single income in the 1970s was in terms of buying power better off than the average family with two incomes today. So they had more available funds for, for additional things like vacations or sure, cars or property. Or yeah, yeah. Or a membership to the golf club or whatever it was. Right? Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. That and, makes sense. And so it, it may not be that I, I just think it's a, it's a lot. To assume it's a big leap to take to say that uh, because people are buying less of something, we somehow know their emotional state. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. They're not buying it because they're not interested. Listen, man, I am so interested in a Packard. Oh, I know. I, I know just you can't are. buy one. And you're t- you're technically a millennial, right? 
Uh, I am just outside of the cusp. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm in that Venn diagram. Uh, I thought you were on the, uh, the very low end of it, or the, the would it be the high end of it. I'm like know. a I'm like a harbinger the of early, the millennials. Yeah, the early end of it. I'm a proto millennial. <laughs> All right, so so you're saying that it's it's tough to say that you know they do have this lack of interest, and I, I want to point out that there's another article. There's there's many there responses are a lot. to this, right? Yeah. One that particularly matches almost exactly my viewpoint that I that I found was in Hemmings. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Hemmings blog, and it was written by a guy named Daniel Stroll, and this is also in uh, 2013, July of 2013, and he is actually rehashing an article that he wrote uh, the previous year, and he wrote it about the collector car hobby because a lot of people were saying, and this is again the, the cyclical thing, a lot of people were saying that the collector car hobby was dying at that time. This would have been back in 2012. So yeah. he says, I'm going to reprint this, knowing that you know it's a year later, but it still applies to people talking about car culture in general dying. Right, and yeah. uh, and so here's what he says. And he calls it, um, well, he says here's the millennial concern to begin with, right? So here's uh, where he says, you know, all the, and he calls them, I love this, the hand ringers fret about millennials, general loss of interest in cars and statistics, uh, such as those that were recently released by the uh, the Federal Highway Administration. And uh, he, he again stats, uh, cites these stats from, you know, 2012, I guess, where he says that, right. 46.3% of potential drivers 19 and younger had their driver's licenses in 2008 versus 64.4% in 1998. So there's a, uh, you know, 10 year gap there. And, uh, what is that about almost 20% difference in, in the number of people that, that have their, their license or want their license. Uh huh. Um, yes. he says that, um, oh, this is kind of crazy. He says other poll results say so, things like, you know, 40%, 46% of drivers 18 to 24 would choose internet access over owning a car. Now that's a kind of a funny statement. That's a pretty broad statement. And make. it's, and it's one poll. Yeah. It's funny to say it that way too. I don't know. That's a weird way to put it. But, um, anyway, here's what, here's what he says that old guys tend to say. All right, so, <laughs> so basically it all comes down to a lack of interest on the part of the youth. It's always the youth that are having the problem, right? It's the, the youth, these kids. Yeah, the kids that are younger than me, they don't, they just don't understand what's going on right now with the cars, right? With their so, gadgets. So old guys tend to blame smartphones, tablets, Facebook, Twitter, uh, the internet, all sorts of technology for stealing the attention of the younger generations. And they also say that, um, and they blame the increasingly restrictive maze of big government legislation for making it tougher for younger drivers to own, insure, and operate a car. And I think I kind of buy into that a little bit. It is um, tougher, yeah. And they also they also tend to blame again. These are the old guys blaming things. They blame the jelly bean fuel injected and plastic filled cars that young drivers have to choose from these days, which I can kind of see that as uh, well. Okay, yeah. Right. And they also kind of blame the uh, you know the greater cost of of buying and gassing up cars nowadays. So the the cost of ownership, I suppose, the daily stuff. Oh man, what is? Let me just interject here, though. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a valid point. Okay, what is the lowest price per gallon you remember paying for uh, gas? I can remember eighty-five cents, or maybe eighty-four, eighty-three cents. Yeah, that's somewhere about in where, there. That's that where, about where I'm at too. That, that would have been the late 1980s, mm-hmm. and it probably would have been yeah. less down here. So when you were starting to drive, it probably, was. Probably catching up with that. Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, it stayed there for a long time. And that was pretty much, it was right around, you know, it was less than a dollar for a long, long time. Right. So the, one of the other things here that's interesting, uh, and not to roll over what you're saying is that, yeah, gas does cost more and the price of gas is not going to plummet. And the kinds of cars that people are building, today for the mass market or what we would call the entry level consumer. Yeah. 
are radically different. They're they're radically they're more expensive. Uh, they a lot of that is regulation. Go back to our economy cars of the 1980s episode and find out what happened there because uh, the, yes. their costs skyrocketed, uh-huh. and there's some very good reasons why it happened. Yeah, and this doesn't mean again that people don't care about cars, but it does mean that for a lot of people, the necessities of driving and transit are changing. They're uh, living in different places. Okay, I'm going to interrupt what I'm doing here with the Hemmings yeah. article to go back to the Jalopnik article because uh, the writer there, um, I think it's, uh, it's Matt Hardegree. Uh, he writes, and this is, this is important, I think, and it's a good, it's a good way to look at this. He says, while car sales dropping may be bad for automakers, it's not bad for auto lovers. While car ownership becomes more of a choice than a necessity, people will buy cars because they desire them, which will make the cars automakers build more desirable in turn. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, I understand there's kind of that give and take. I, I get it, but they're not immediately responsive like that. Um, but since the, and it goes on to say, since the recession, cars haven't gotten worse. They've gotten better. They've gotten sportier, more attractive, more powerful, and yes, more fuel efficient all at the same time. Mm. I agree with that on some level, not every, I mean, there's always going to be the odd case, right? Where it yeah. d- didn't happen that way. Um, but he says, when we empty the roads for commuters, we free them up for the kind of people who get in a car just for the joy of it. That won't kill car culture. That'll help save it. Okay. So he's saying that the cars are actually better since the recession has hit because automakers are trying to, um, focus on what people have been asking for all along. In the, in the attempt to make cars that they want to buy, you know, that they're not just going to throw out a product and say, buy it because that's what we offer. <laughs> they're going to say, yeah. it's going to be more targeted to the people that say, this is what we're looking for from your product. Can you do it? Now, there, there's some value to that, but let's go back to the Hemings article too. And I, I derailed this a little bit, but I, I think there are some important points yet to make in this one. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to go or you want to? Uh, wanna... well, I'll take, I'll take one here. All right. Uh, there's uh there's a great comparison here when they right after they're talking about um old guys blame the smartphones and the tablets and the whatnots. Uh they in the very next paragraph the author goes on to state that this is being treated kinda like a Rorschach test, mm-hmm. you know, and people are seeing whatever they want to see at this and that we're forgetting some basic facts about United States geography. Which is that this country is huge. Yeah. And it's not like, um, you know, the, the dense population centers that we find in places like China or Europe or all over Europe. Yeah. I mean, or we do find centers that I guess, you know, places that are like that. I mean, there's the Los Angeles congestion area. There's the New York congested area. There's also even, I mean, right here in Atlanta, there's a lot of congestion. Yeah. Um, any major city is going to have, you know, a crowding issue, but not to the extent that they have over there. It's a, it's, it's a little bit different here. And we've built suburbs out in those, in those open bits of land. And, you know, so we're, we're expanding, but we still need to get to the city center. And that's the problem. Like, how do you get there without the proper transportation? And you have to have your own personal transportation because as of now, public transportation just doesn't cut it here in the States. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately that is the case. And, uh, Let's point out, though, that there very well could be an end of car culture, a post-car culture society somewhere in those very heavily populated areas in, mm-hmm. in Europe, maybe, or even in um, in some European countries right now. There are areas where uh, vehicles are banned. 
you know, except yeah, with special exemptions. Well, yeah, unless you uh, pay a tax every time you drive through. Oh, yeah, like the road use tax. <laughs> yeah, that's... Know, things like that. And uh, parking, pro, you know, uh, prohibitive parking, I guess maybe right, is what to say. Yeah. And, um, and maybe, who knows, maybe there is going to be a time when an urban center in the United States is completely like that. Maybe one day... Uh, New York will be like that or San Francisco, but the entire country for that to happen, there would have to be an alternative to a car. And right now there just isn't. You're saying an alternative to cars in, in New York and San Francisco? No, no, no. In for the entire country, Scott, oh, for I the, see. the whole United States. Wow. To be in a post car culture or whatever, there would have to be like, we, we've talked about this, man. The cost of the infrastructure alone is massive just to build the interstate system, which remains one of the most impressive feats uh, of human, like human history at oh, the time sure. it was built, uh, just to build that, we had to move mountains. Literally, I worked on that earlier. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and uh, and the cost itself was was tremendous. We would have never done it if it if we weren't afraid of uh, transit problems during a world war. Oh, sure, and you know. He goes on to point out, you know, in this in this Hemings article that um, it's sort of a pick your own bias or your own uh, your own issue that you want to focus on. And and that's kind of what the old guys are, are, are doing. They're picking their own thing. They're saying, uh, well, you know, it's the it's, you know, the kids with their Facebook and Twitter and all that. They don't feel like they need mm-hmm. the face to face time. So they don't feel like they need to get a license. so They can drive over to the friend's house and, and um, you know, hang out on Friday nights with them. They just FaceTime each other. And that's good enough. So the old guys are finding ways to say. Um, you know, it's this one specific thing that's causing the problem and, and every, everybody has their own idea of how that's working. You know, they, they, they maybe don't have the greatest grasp on, um, what's really happening because as this guy points out, you know, you know, that 18.1% gap that we talked about right, that, that yeah. aren't getting their license. Uh-huh. Well, there's a chance that those 18.1% wouldn't have become car enthusiasts anyway. You know, maybe Good they would point. not even care. They get their license. They just wouldn't even care about it. Right. They'd have some kind of beige commuter car that uh-huh. they drive around in. Um, so he says, um, and I'm just again paraphrasing all this, but and we'll get to the part where I really agree with in just a minute. Okay. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin. and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. He says, barring the apocalypse, economic collapse, mass migration of youth into urban areas, or a sudden massive investment in infrastructure, it's safe to say that the collector car hobby, which we can substitute for uh, car culture, sure, uh, will continue to go on. Um, oh, boy. When I read that now, I think, uh-oh, because there's a couple of those things that are going on right now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, well, there's the economic collapse that's happening, right? Uh-huh. There's also sort of a, uh, there, I mean, in a way, there's a mass migration of youth into urban areas. That's true. There's a mass migration <laughs> of people. There really are. Areas. And there's a, there's some pretty big investments in infrastructure in some cities as far as trains and public transit go. Sure. Not everywhere, though. It's not, not like everywhere. the country is doing it as, as one major plan. Uh, so what are we missing here? The apocalypse, Ben. We're just waiting for the apocalypse. Just waiting, and what, what better time than now? <laughs> but I, okay, look, again, this is, some of this stuff is hyperbole, some of it is to sell papers. I think that we've, we've made a pretty good case, uh, with some of the counterpoints to the claims made in the, in the New York Times article. Uh, there could be a postcar society in parts of the U.S., but think about Think about how you would travel from city to city, mm-hmm. you know, um, would you in if you didn't have a car or you didn't have access to a car. It, it is true that uh, driving itself for a lot of people is changing, you know, like if you're going to if you're going to go out and take a night on the town, you might call an Uber. Right. Yeah. And so you don't have to futz around with parking your own car um, or. uh Mess around with calling a cab, but you might have called a cab anyway. And the idea of autonomous vehicles coming out, I know everybody is uh, champing at the bit for that one. But, Scott, autonomous vehicles have been two years away for, what, five years? Yeah, it seems like it. Or ten years away for the last 20 years. Yeah, they've yeah, been yeah, better. Uh, yeah, it seems like that. So um, I know we're not quite wrapping up here yet, but yeah. there's a couple more things that I, I just – I'll skim this because – the last points in this in this Hemings article. This is the one that really spoke to you. These huh? closely match my view on this whole thing, and All I right. can kind of wrap it up with uh, in just a few minutes here. Sure, but, sure. Um, he points out. He says, "This is not to say, however, that the hobby will remain frozen in time. It changes with the generations, along with the relative definition of the word old. So, <laughs> so car enthusiasts in their twenties, thirties, and forties care less for muscle cars in the nineteen fifties chromobiles." Than they do for BMW 3 Series, water-cooled Volkswagens, Fox Body Mustangs, and Nissan Z cars. And we totally see this at the car shows that we attend. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, so to them, those cars that I just mentioned are old cars and the cars that they admired while they were growing up. So many of the cars from the 1980s and 1990s are are the ones that are being lovingly preserved, Mm -hmm. whereas in the past, you know, like their, their parents' cars, 
they were looking at the 1950s chrome mobiles and, you know, the, uh, the original Mustangs and things like that, right? It's just not exactly the same from generation to generation. And that's what the older generation tends to expect out of the younger generation. And it's never going to happen. It's, I mean, there might be right. a few that follow along with the way their parents did it. Sure. But it's not going to happen overall. It's not a, a again, a broad brush thing that's going to happen for everybody in that, that younger generation. And that's part of why we have clear eras of cars. I, I do want to point out one other thing, and I know this is not an economic show or anything, but something I feel like a lot of the um, naysayers, the, the gloom and doomers are forgetting is that for somebody leaving college now – and I really lucked out on this one personally. For somebody leaving college now, it is so much more difficult to get a job. And, um, for some, and college is more expensive. And, uh, for someone who maybe just says, I'll skip college, right? And I'll just go straight into learning a trade. Sure. Right. The security that came with that trade is no longer as ironclad as it was. Uh, people are much more likely to be doing some sort of, contract work or freelance and you're being hired on for a term than they are to be hired on full time with the kind of regularity you need to be able to buy a car. And you know what? That's even the case with somebody who has graduated college. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of people that I know that work contract work exclusively going from three month contract to a six month contract sure. back to a three month um, with the hope that, you know, they'll be employed. And sometimes they are. Yeah. Uh, but it's not out of the ordinary for someone with a college degree to uh, to have to accept some contract work. Uh, initially, it's not like you go out and get hired in at the firm and, you know, stay on for 20 years and eventually become a partner. And it's right. not it's not yeah. that way all the time. It doesn't always work out. You're right. So, um, you know, the uh, the economics of the whole thing are a lot more difficult than they were in the past. They really are. I just feel like uh, I, I just feel like it's I don't want to say intellectually dishonest, but I do feel like it's convenient to say these statistics prove that people don't care about cars while not talking about, you know, the brass tax, you know, I'm cheap. I care about that stuff. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> Both of those points are true. All right. So, um, you know, I guess maybe the, uh, the wrap up on this article and then kind yeah, of yeah. my own thoughts at the end and maybe yours as well. Sure. Um, but the thing is that the overall picture here is that, that the older generation of car enthusiasts can't expect the younger generation to like and own and restore the same type of cars and vice versa. And that's, that's pointed out in this article that every generation has differing influences and values and arguing about those only leads to uh, conflict between the generations. Uh-huh. It's, it's always going to lead to, um, an abrasive situation between older and younger people who, who are both interested in cars. They're just not interested in the same type of cars. And it's frustrating that, you know, you see, and I'm paraphrasing all this now. Yeah. You see that, um, you know, people that are, that are both interested in them, they're just not, you know how we always say kind of, uh, um, to each his own with right. uh, with these car culture things that we've uh-huh. been doing, right? Yeah, you know, and like, it's your car, do what you want with it. It's not our thing, but hey, have at it because, <laughs> you know, you love it and you enjoy it. And whatever keeps you interested in the hobby is is something that we um, we promote. We would like that. You know, it's, it's good that you're interested in something. Remain with that. That's something that, you know, the older and younger generations can't seem to work out between them. And it's been that way for decades and decades and decades. It just doesn't seem to work out that way. And it's it's rare when... A father passes on to his son or daughter the exact same type of uh, car and same type of um, interests, sure. same everything, because yeah. 
uh, they can, they're going to have different experiences when they're growing up, and it's just not going to work out that the kid wants exactly what the adult wanted. And it, mm-hmm. I would say that it's probably good for them not to, uh, because it keeps things different. It keeps things interesting. I mean, otherwise, we'd all be riding uh, in a horse and wag, a horse and buggy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And you know what? I I feel like um, you know, we've said a lot of this. You know, we've, we've quoted a lot of stuff in the articles. We've a lot of statistics. Yeah. And if you have more to add, go ahead. But I, I need to just get a few things out there. That, that are kind of my own. Yeah, I want to hear, I, I, I want to hear what you think. And I think our listeners want to hear it too, because we've been, uh, we, we've been looking at this for uh, several days now. Well, Ben, we've been looking at this for several years, actually, since we've started doing the show, because we get to see all the trends. We get to see the, uh, you know, the, the latest topics, the newest yeah. technology. Uh-huh. We get to hear from, uh, from people that, are right in the heart of you know different types of car cultures because we've we've recently talked about the Regare, the the Bosuzuku. Uh-huh. Uh, we talked about stance cars. We talked about Dakotora trucks, the donks, donks. Even. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean a little bit of everything. People that collect military vehicles. I mean, there's so many different groups. Think about all the club uh, members that we've had correspondence with via email or uh-huh. Facebook or whatever. So all those car clubs, you know, the specialty makes and uh, people that are interested in just pony cars. People that are interested in um, orphan cars or exotic cars or, um, even, oh, you know what? Even hypermilers. That's kind of a, uh, a, a, oh, yeah. a subculture. All these different cultures, but they don't necessarily get together and communicate and they don't know. So in some cases, they don't even know the other ones out there exists. Mm-hmm. So there's that kind of disconnect in the communication. Um, or they look at each other and they decide that that's not even worth my time to look at or it's not worth bothering with. And right. I don't like what those people are doing. They're not real car fans. They're not real uh, car people. They're not car guys, car girls, uh-huh. uh, because they don't like what I like. They don't get it. Well, that's a, that's a difficult thing to overcome, you know, to, to sure. say, uh, you know, I know that you're in the, uh, you know, the, um, Nissan Z car club, but I'm, I don't really like it that much because I'm a pony car guy myself and right. I'm, I'm pretty strict about the definition of a pony car. So I'm really only in this small group of people here. I don't, I don't like what you're doing over there in the Z car club. And I don't even, in fact, I don't even really care to learn about it. Oh, and here comes that jerk in the bug club. Right? Oh yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And, and you know, it could be hypermilers, like I said, or it could uh-huh. be, um, stance cars or drift or rat rods sure. or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, these, these groups don't seem to communicate as well as they probably should and realize that, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that just have an, a, Deep, deep interest in the automobile in general. It doesn't have to be the type of automobile that you love. They just have an interest in automobiles in general. It could be cars, vans, trucks, sure. SUVs, military vehicles, whatever the case may be. Um, and I know I'm way overstating this and probably just rehashing a bunch of stuff, but I, I do need to get one last question out here, Ben. And this is, goes out to our listeners as well. All right. And if you have more, please do, because I feel like this is my kind of wrap up here. <laughs> All right. Do you ever just get in the car and just drive just just for the sake of it, just just for the joy of driving? Do you ever get in your vehicle and go nowhere in particular? Yes. You do? Yeah. You do uh, that on the weekends, or when do you do that, in the evenings? No, I used to do it a lot more for uh, a couple of different reasons. Uh, one, I I was in a different car, mm-hmm. which, uh, which had better... Uh, better uh mileage but uh but gas was a little bit less i still do it though if i have free time i love to hop in the car man i used to have this map i think i told you about this you have yeah yeah when i was uh when i first started driving i got this map and i kept it for years and i took a i took a compass 
you know, like the old school um, metal and yeah, pencil yeah. compass. Yeah, the poke your eye out compass. Yeah, the poke your eye out compass. And I had mapped in a circle uh, the places that I could drive and, you know, expanding circles about how far could I get if I just drove this way for, you know, four hours? Yeah. How far could I get if I drove eight hours, turned around? How far could I get if I drove 24 hours straight? Stuff like that. And um, I still love to do that, but one thing I also find myself doing is uh sometimes I will say, Oh, here's a here's a place that I haven't been to in a while that's a little far away. I'll just I'll just go, you know. Nothing there's nothing quite like waking up and realizing that you can go anywhere, you know, if yeah. you just if if you just feel like going. I've I've woken up sometimes one time, man, me and the girl I was dating at the time and one of our buddies, we were having, um, we were having like, we, we went to a Mexican restaurant or something. Yeah. And we were college students and, uh, over some cheese dip, we decided we didn't want to go to school. So we drove down to Florida, like all the way down to the ocean. Wow. Yeah. And it was, it was a long drive. And, uh, when we got there, we went to like, a Ruby Tuesdays or something. Cause it was the, it was off season. It was the only thing open. And, uh, then we turned around and drove back and it was great. I know. And it's all about the journey, right? That's yeah. the, that's the point. And I did this all the time. I mean, I've got so many examples of this and your map idea is a fantastic idea, by the way. I think that's a, it's a wonderful thing to do, you know, just to determine the distances that you can go in one day comfortably, you know, or X number of hours. If you have six hours, you can go three hours away and come three hours back. Mm-hmm. I, I would do that all the time. In fact, I do still do that occasionally now when I can. It's a lot easier when you're 18 years old and way, way easier because now, yeah. you know, we've got the uh, the pressures of, you know, family life and the job and all that other stuff that, that piles on. You just can't do it quite as much anymore, but I make time to do it when I can. But when I was younger and I had that old MG that we've talked about a few times, mm-hmm. I would drive that car and I'm not joking. I would drive it between five and eight hours a day on the weekend. On oh, Saturday and Sunday, yeah. I would, you know, like wax it all up on Friday night until about 2 a.m. I'd get about four hours of sleep and then I'd head out on the road and I'd drive for like eight hours and the exhaust fumes were making me sick and everything. You know, it was probably <laughs> killing, it's probably killing me, but I loved it and I wasn't going anywhere in particular. And I, sure. I honestly, honestly, in that car, I wasn't going too far from home either. I wasn't going like four hours away. I was just, crisscrossing town over and over again, but, uh-huh. but different routes, different roads, going through neighborhoods, uh, maybe stopping at some shops here and there, getting a lunch somewhere, um, just making the scene. I was just killing the day, you know, but it was yeah. fun to cruise around and fun to do. And I, I still kind of do that. I did that in my Festiva. I did that in my CRX. I did that in my Audi. I do that in my car now. Um, I will do that in the next car that I have. I, I still try to at a much smaller, uh, smaller scale. Um, you know, things like, I'd be working in Michigan, like at a friend's cottage or something, you know, mm-hmm. like in, uh, I think I was in North Branch, Michigan. And instead of, you know, getting out to the main highway, instead of turning right to go home, I turned left and, and drove up to the Mackinac Bridge one night. Yeah. And I uh, just kind of hung out up there. I had my fishing pole with me. I fished for about an hour and then I drove home that same night. I didn't stay anywhere. I didn't sleep in the car or anything like right. that. It was just a long, like it was like an, you know, 23 hour day or something like that. Crazy. That's, that's a great story. It it was, it was fun. I mean, and that's exactly like your Florida story. Yeah. Yeah. Some people just like to get in the car and drive just for the joy of driving. Mm -hmm. And if that type of people are out there, like you and I, like people like you and I are out there. Yeah. People, even if it's just an hour, if you just go for an hour drive in the country, if people like that are out there, 
I think that the car culture is still strong in this in this country. I think it's going to remain forever, and we're we're going to a car show this weekend. It's going to prove that. Ha, that's true. We are going to a car show this weekend, and hopefully, we will be showing you some video from it. One uh, one tip: if you are considering a spontaneous road trip, don't take the interstate the whole way. Just hop off somewhere and see what you find. It's always the small roads where you're going to find the adventure. It and always it, is. It takes a lot longer, but it's it's so much more enjoyable than just being on the highway for seven hours at a time. Oh, yeah. Way more exciting. I really do just love the idea that you never know what's around the next turn. You never know what's out over the next hill. It's just always an adventure. Every time. Yeah, so let us know if you have taken a spontaneous road trip. Uh, I'd like to hear some road trip stories, you know? Definitely. Uh, and maybe they will make it to the air on our show in the future. In the meantime, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find every podcast we have ever done on our website, carstuffshow.com. And if you're saying, well, I want to, I want to send you guys road trip stories or suggestions for an upcoming topic, but I don't like Facebook and Twitter weirds me out. Uh, it's a for millennials. Don't worry. We have an email address. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.